0: Now, I hope you kept your Bibles open, Colossians chapter 1. Let's pray again that God would speak to us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Please teach us to grow in it, that we would be rooted in you, and that we would come to a full knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Amen. Paul says to the church at Colossae in verse 6 of Colossians 1, all over the world this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it. The gospel, the message of the Lord Jesus, began to grow 2,000 years ago and I'm sure you'll be very pleased to know it hasn't stopped growing. I was looking up some statistics during the week and here's a few pictures of some of the churches around the world for you. In Africa, if we go back to the end of the 19th century, so at the end of the 1800s, the southern portion of Africa was around about 3% Christian. 3%. Today, according to some statistics, 63% of the population of Africa is now Christian. Membership of the churches in Africa is increasing... By 34,000 people a day. The gospel is bearing fruit and growing. Have a guess, which country do you think has the fastest church growth in the world? China? Everyone thinks China? You're close. Nepal? Nepal has 11% church growth year on year. Now, of course, closely followed by China. They're at 10.8%, so they're not far off it. In fact, in China, it is estimated now, there are more disciples of Jesus than there are members of the Communist Party. It won't be long before China has the most Christians out of any country in the world. The growth continues In Islamic Indonesia, the percentage of Christians is so high now, estimated around about 15%, that the government will no longer print statistics about religious adherence. In the 1900s, Korea... Oh, let me go back one. What's that photo? There you go, that photo. Oh, the Middle East. In the Islamic world, throughout the rest of the Muslim world... More people have come to Christ in the last 25 years than in the entire history of Christian mission. In, Islam, in uh, what's this one? Korea in 1900s, Korea had no Protestant church. Today there are over 7,000 churches just in the one city of Seoul. Across the planet, the Church of Jesus Christ grows and grows. And grows estimated every day, 80,000 followers of Jesus. The church continues to grow. The gospel bears fruit and grows across the world, and it is the same gospel that continues to bear fruit and grow amongst this group of people. You might recognize yourself in there somewhere. It's a bit small, but that's a photo from our church house party last year. It is the same gospel. The gospel, Paul says, that brings hope, a hope stored up in heaven, the hope of salvation from hell, the hope of forgiveness of sins, the hope of restoration to relationship with God, the hope of an inheritance that is safe for us. The same gospel that produces faith and love amongst us. The gospel is growing throughout the world. And do you know what it means? It means that there's an awful lot of babies out there. Can you you spot which baby this one is? That's Sophia. We're going to have a new baby soon, so we'll have different photos. It's okay. You're probably sick of these by now. But babies, babies need to grow. Babies need to develop. Baby Christians need to grow. Here's Sophia discovering that she has fingers. Oh, What are these for? They're mine. What can I feel? What can I touch? What can I smoosh onto my face? Baby Christians need to grow and develop and mature. Now you've joined us, if you're visiting, and for our regulars, in the middle of a series as we think about our vision for church. And how we've explored so far... Two of the four E's that we have. Now, if you remember this circle, I'll just look this way for a moment so that I remember which way around we go. Down, Coming down your right-hand side is before people come to know the Lord Jesus. And so we engage, we reach out to those who otherwise have no connection, we evangelise as we share the life-saving news of Jesus, and at some point people go from not knowing Jesus to knowing him to giving their lives to him, to putting their trust in him, to repenting and believing. And so at that point, we need to establish is where we are up to today. How is it that we grow? How do you establish somebody who is a baby Christian and help them develop into an adult Christian? Because let's be honest here, when we come to Christ, we're not quite so much this kind of baby. We're a bit more this kind of baby. We bring our habits and we bring our unfortunate, uh, yes, that's a two-year-old smoking. You'll be glad to know he's kicked the habit. Uh, That was from a few years ago. We need establishing. In fact, all of us, whether we're baby Christians or not, will always continue to grow. We'll always continue to mature. And that is the question we want to explore today. How do any of us grow? Well, let's get back into Colossians and back into chapter 1, reading from verse 9. We'll skip ahead a little bit. Paul prays for them. For this reason, he says in verse 9, Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. There is the basic, the bedrock, the very essential fact of how to grow as a Christian. Paul wants them to be filled with the knowledge of his will. Now it makes sense, doesn't it? If conversion, if going from not being a Christian to being a Christian is the handing back of your life to God, if it's replacing what I want with what God wants, then it requires me to know what is it that God wants. What is God's will? In fact, we need to know him. We need to know God's plans. We need to know God's purposes. What is it that God is doing in the world and why is he doing it? We need to know God's desires. We need to know God's rules. Without knowing God, it's an impossible task to live the Christian life. Have you ever been set a task without being given the guidelines? Someone said, maybe at work, perhaps even at home, maybe your spouse has said to you, can you please stack the dishwasher? And, uh, and I come along and in my slightly OCD tendencies, I like to clump the cutlery together, all the spoons together, all the knives together, all the forks together, right? And I think I'm doing a good, I'm living a life worthy of the marriage that I'm in. I'm getting some nods from some and some people are of, oh no, how could you, David. Am I being worthy? Well, as it turns out, if you do that, the cutlery doesn't clean properly because the spoons all nestle each other and the forks all end up spooning and you end up with nothing clean. If you don't don't have the knowledge that you need, you will be unable to live the life that is worthy. We must be filled with the knowledge of God. But it's not just knowledge. So this knowledge comes with, back in verse 9, all spiritual wisdom and understanding. It's not enough to know facts. It must be placed together in the context of wisdom, being able to abstract principles and think about life and understand it and apply it. Now, the NIV is a little bit unhelpful to us here, unfortunately, because they've translated it as knowledge of his will through wisdom and understanding, which makes it sound as if if you get this spiritual wisdom, then you somehow gain knowledge of God's will. It almost makes it sound kind of like a mystical sort of process. But the word through really is just the word in, with, among, surrounded by, knowledge of God's will with wisdom and understanding, not just facts. At uni, I did a science degree, and uh, as part of a science degree, you had to do these subjects called gen eds, general education, someone's cracked up, right, because you know what's coming next. They were the weirdest subjects. The whole point was we're supposed to round out your education. You're supposed to choose things that have nothing to do with your area of study. So I could have done, I don't know, jewellery design or you know, just these completely random little half-weight subjects. Anyway, I chose one called religion and science. Why not? It was online only. I didn't have to attend any classes, so I could just bludge and submit the assignments. Happy days. But the lecturers, it was quite clear, some were Christian and some weren't. They both had quite astonishing knowledge of the Bible. They knew the facts. They knew God's will, if you like, but one of them clearly had no wisdom about the matter for he was preaching the words of eternal life without grabbing hold of them himself. Knowledge is good and essential, but it must come with wisdom and it's spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding that is, of the matters of God. Here is the key principle that I want to leave you with this morning. Christian living comes from knowing God's will. Christian living comes from knowing God's will. Which, of course, then begs the question, how do you know God's will? What does it mean to be filled with the knowledge of God's will? How can we know God? Now, God can and does, he has in the past, made himself known in all sorts of crazy ways. You think of it, God's probably done it. In the Old Testament, we read stories of a a burning bush that God spoke out of. He's made himself known through visions, through dreams. Uh, let Let me retell for you one of the most famous, perhaps, in Numbers chapter 22. One of God's prophets... A man named Balaam got up in the morning and got onto his donkey and went off to be with the princes of Moab. But God was angry with Balaam and didn't want him to do what he was doing. So how can God make known to Balaam his will? Well, what he did was he put an angel in the way. And the angel was standing there with his sword. Unfortunately, Balaam couldn't see the angel, but Balaam's donkey could. And so the donkey goes, I don't want to walk through that, and wanders off into the bush to go around it. Balaam didn't like it, so he beat the donkey to get it back on the road and keep going. Now again, a little while later, the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between two vineyards, and the donkey goes, I don't want to walk through him, so he squeezed right up against the wall to get past the angel, and in the process, injured Balaam's foot. And Balaam thinks, you wicked donkey, and beat the donkey again. Now, where do you think the story is going? The angel of the Lord moved ahead, stood in a narrow place. There's no room to turn. You can't go right. You can't go left. You're going through the angel. And so the donkey just stopped walking. And Balaam's laying into it. Come on, you stupid donkey. And the Lord opened the donkey's mouth and said to Balaam, what have I done to you? That makes you beat me three times. Well, you wandered off the road. You hurt my foot. You won't go on any further. And the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your own donkey, which you've always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? Well, I guess not, says Balaam. And the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel. And the angel said, why have you beaten your donkey? I've come here and if you'd gone through, I would surely have killed you. Although I would have let the donkey through. Now God can speak however he wants. There is a difference, however, between how God can speak and how God will speak. See, how do you know God? Well, you've got to listen to Him and listen to what He says. This is how God speaks. 2 Timothy, chapter three, verse fourteen. 2 Timothy three fourteen says this: "As for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. How from infancy you have known the holy Scriptures." which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith. The scriptures bring wisdom that brings salvation. In fact, furthermore, all scripture is God-breathed, is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, that the man of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. How do we know God? Through his word. He has spoken. In fact, you might have noticed Psalm 119, as it was read out for us, is all about the Word of God. All, However many hundreds of verses there are, longest chapter in the Bible, and the entirety of it is given over to the Word of God that leads the man of God in righteousness. If you want to look up a very interesting verse for later, look up Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 to 9, and you will see how the Holy Spirit today speaks with the words of the Old Testament. The Scriptures are how we know God's will. So we need to remember, this isn't just how God can speak, but it is how he does speak and how he will. This is where we get our knowledge that comes with wisdom and understanding. In fact, if you like, this is the food that we need. It's the food for babies and it's the food for grown-ups. It's both milk and burgers. This is where we've got to keep going back to. And notice what happens as Paul prays for the Colossians that they would be filled with the knowledge of God. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? We pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. It's an astonishing statement. Have you ever considered that you could live a life worthy of God? And yet it comes as we are filled with the knowledge of his will, with wisdom and understanding. I'll tell you what, this covers so many different areas. I was chatting this week uh, with one of our younger Christians. He's not a baby, baby Christian anymore. He's a toddler. Uh, chatting with him about what what was it like when he became a Christian? What were the sorts of things that he didn't know? What did he wish people had told him about? What did he need to learn to live a life worthy of God? And he had all sorts of things to talk about. Prayer, he said. How do, you, how do you know, as a young Christian, how to pray? I mean, people tell you, well, you can just say whatever you want, right? That's how you pray. You just talk to God and you say whatever you want to pray. But then people get up the front of church to pray, and what does it sound like? These big words and really professional kind of, I mean, it's it's a bit scary, isn't it? What he needed was somebody to sit down and say, what is the will of God? What is the will of God in prayer? Jesus taught his disciples, pray like I teach you to pray. Our Father in heaven, why do you start there? Easy. There is a prayer you can begin with. He said, what's the deal with communion and the Lord's Supper? I mean, no one told me about that. You get, you get this book and these words and you're getting up and you're getting down and you're standing and you're kneeling and there's bread and there's wine, and there's these words that get said and there's body and blood. And What am I supposed to do? I don't, You need to learn... Knowledge of God. No one had told him that it was wrong to have sex before you married. So he was still living with his girlfriend. You need to know the will of God. How do you make your decisions? Where do you spend your money? How do you worship this God? What does it mean to serve? What should I do with my time? All of that is given to us by the food that is the word of God. See, as we live a life worthy of the Lord, notice what Paul says in verse 10 comes next, that we may please him in every way. is that a lovely sentence? As we are filled with the knowledge of the will of God, as we seek to live lives that are worthy of him, we live to please our God. And we do so in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, Growing in our knowledge of God. I mean, isn't that funny, right? It begins with, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of God. And do you know what pleases God? That you grow in the knowledge of God. And my kids, they're geniuses. I mean, I acknowledge that, right? They're they're, they're gifted and talented. We've said that all along. But they've got a lot to learn. And it pleases me, no end, to see them learning. Sophia's starting to learn letters, She's also starting to learn how to lie. So, you know, growth kind of goes both ways. And clearly there is maturity to come. But so it pleases God as we grow in the knowledge of His will. It pleases Him that we might be strengthened according to His glorious might for endurance and patience. It pleases our God when we endure our times of hardship. It pleases our Father that we may joyfully give thanks to him who has qualified us to share in inheritance. Does this describe you? Are you you a mature Christian? Or perhaps maybe you're still a little baby. There are things to learn. There are knowledge of God to be gained. In fact, I suspect that all of us will continue to grow until the Lord Jesus returns and perhaps even after that. Are you growing? Well, what are we as a church going to do to establish new Christians as we come back to our vision as we talk about this? So as has been pointed out before, four quadrants, four terms to the year. So each term we have one special focus. This term, term one, we're focused on engaging, reaching out, meeting new people, making contacts, creating the bridges over which we will cross to share the gospel later. Term three is all about establishing. Ideally, it goes like this. Term one, we meet a bunch of new people. Term two, we share Jesus with them and they're saved. Term three, we have to look after these baby Christians and help them to grow. And term four, we all get equipped to go back and do the circle again. So as a church, the ways that we seek to establish new Christians, well, there's only really a couple because the bulk of it happens one-to-one. The majority of this is discipleship. It's one person meeting with one other person to read and learn the knowledge of God's will. All of the people who have come to Christ that I can think of over the last few years have whether intentionally and officially or not have had essentially a mentor. Have had a person they've been meeting up with to read the Bible, to pray through. However, we do do a few things. If you come to church in term 3, all of the sermons are generally have this in mind, this engaging uh, sorry establishing mindset such that they're full of a lot of the basic Christian truths. What does it mean to say, for example, Jesus is Lord? How is repentance for sins one? How do I pray? What is the place of personal Bible reading and prayer? These, as they come up in the sermons, those are the sorts of ideas that get explored. Furthermore, this year we're going to run a course. It's kind of a back-to-basics What does it mean just to get right back to the bedrock, being a Christian, living the Christian walk? Now, if baby Christians are very welcome to it, you might think you want to come along to that. In fact, maybe I'd like to go back and just revisit the basics again and get solidly grounded. And of course, week in, week out, all year long, that is why our Bible study groups are so important. We bang on about them. I'm conscious of that. It just seems like every other week we're talking about them again. But this is why. We need to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And it takes hard work and effort and dedication and time and other people. If you're not in one, you need to strongly consider being in one. If you can't find one that suits, we'll run one for you. What about ourselves as individuals? Well, I hope and pray that you are constantly growing, that you too are being filled with the knowledge of God's will, that you read, that you digest, that you mark, that you apply, that you seek wisdom from the scriptures daily. When, it comes, when the crunch time comes, it's usually too late. At the point of decision, you need to have done the work already. At the point of hardship, you need to know God's will already. And so are you doing the work now? Can I suggest that you find a person to disciple? Maybe that's a strange idea. And by disciple, I just mean find someone that you can read the Bible with. Somebody who's a little bit further behind you, a young, maybe a baby, maybe toddler, maybe a teenager, Christianly speaking, whoever it is, that you can meet with that you can train, that you can help grow and mature? And can I suggest that you find someone to disciple you? If all of us are discipling someone and being discipled by somebody else, then that network of Bible teaching into each other's lives will grow and mature us in a way that nothing else can. Some things you have to model. There's no point teaching my kids how to use a spoon. So what you have to do is you've got to you take your fingers which are these things attached to your hand and you have to grab that thing that's next to your plate that's long and thin and has a little curved thing and you have to grasp it which means curling your fingers around it and then you have to scoop. Uh, scooping means uh, there's no point teaching. All I do is I grab a spoon and I eat and the kids watch me and they go oh that's what you do with a spoon and then they use their hands and ignore it anyway but they, some things you model. There's no point in teaching. Find somebody to disciple you you find somebody to disciple yourself. And finally, have patience with one another. I don't expect my kids to do calculus tomorrow. Maybe by Tuesday. But uh, you, right, just bear with one another. It's okay. Babies need patience. Even when you're really worked up and they're really just being brats and we want to keep growing and maturing. until, Until Ephesians 4.11 until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. A maturity which I take will happen when the Lord Jesus returns, which we strive for until then. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this word. Thank you for uh, the reminder that we need to be seeking you and your ways. Thank you for the encouragement of knowing that as we pursue you and we seek wisdom and understanding, this leads into living worthy lives. And we thank you for the encouragement it is to know that this pleases you. And so, Father, keep us faithful to you and to your word. Make us please a church that is full of biblically sharp ambassadors. And we ask please for those among us who are young, who are immature in the faith, that you would grow them and for all of us that we would continue to mature looking forward to the day of Jesus' return. In whose name we pray. Amen.